0: Welcome. We're glad you're all here. I would like to open in prayer, and then we will start. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for these ladies who have come. We do ask for your blessing, for your guidance, for your wisdom. As we address the topic of discontentment, help us to be content in you in all ways. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so tonight we are going to address the topic of discontentment. And um, before we do that, I would like to review what we learned last semester. Since we haven't been together for a while, um, it just seemed like to quickly hit the topics that we did last time would be helpful. So, first, Yvonne covered the topic of how our desires inform our expectations. Are our desires right or wrong? Are they rooted in Scripture? And that came from 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. So that whole idea of keeping your goals, your focus rooted in scripture, not loving the things around you, but loving God. So that was the first meeting. The second one was looking at our, at our expectations regarding God. Are they based on scripture or on worldly influences? If you watch any amount of TV, you will see all sorts of incredible theories about God. Not a great place to look. Or just on our own pride. So, what are your expectations regarding his work? Or provision in your life regarding comfort, financial well being, health, family, relationships, answers to your prayers, to fixing your problems. We discussed that if we have unbiblical expectations about God, it will result in sinful responses such as discouragement with God, anger at God. Turning away from God, disobedience, that just makes sense. So it's so important that we have a correct view, a biblical view of God. Then we looked at expectations regarding scripture in prayer. Do I see scripture as providing everything I need for life and godliness? Or instead, do I run and listen to a podcast or call a friend? Do I spend time reading, memorizing, meditating on scripture? Do I believe that God answers prayer and pray as though I believe it? Do I routinely pray for those around me? So we discussed all that and our expectations there. Then we looked at our expectations Regarding ourselves, do I expect others to love and serve me? Well, that would be lovely. (laughs) To be happy, fulfilled, satisfied by the world. Do I deserve better than I've got? Am I more dependent on myself or on God? In the fifth week that we met, we discussed what our expectations were regarding other people. Are they rooted in scripture? Can you see that theme? It's always going back to scripture, which instructs us to serve, to love, to be poured out, to be expended, to put others before ourselves. And I think, let's see, I have my outline. Yes, I did. I put several of those Bible verses there. Those are just good to go back and look at. When we need to be reminded of how to love and serve others. Okay. We discussed how those particular expectations fleshed out in practical, everyday life of kindness, hospitality, sacrificial giving in time and resources, and meeting pressing needs. And finally, the sixth one I was not here for, but I did listen to, Was Yvonne teaching on trials? Do we value trials and find joy in them, being thankful for them, seeing God's goodness in them? Do we rest in trials and fight for Christlikeness in them, or do we fight against them, being discontent, angry at the source or at God? Do we grumble and complain and expect to live without trials? Have we become bitter and angry over trials? So those are the things that we discussed last semester. And with those topics clearly in mind, we are going to analyze how our expectations can influence us. So if they're wrong expectations, or even right ones but unmet, can influence us towards sin. And today's topic is discontentment. So while I was preparing for today's lesson, I talked with people, a number of people, about the topic of discontentment. I think we all have a lot to say about that, right? I mean, there's so many times it's easy to be discontent. Certainly, many of us struggle with discontentment due to unmet expectations, but it is always It was interesting talking with some. Some of those expectations are not sinful. They are right and good. However, because they are unmet, we can get really unhappy because we don't have those things that we expected to have. So I would like to stop and ask each one of you not out loud, but to think in your own mind, in your heart, what areas are there where you are struggling with being discontent? Why are you discontent? So we're going to look at a variety of reasons of areas where people can be discontent. But if you examine your own situation right now, I think it will help, because I can give examples, but if they don't match up with the areas that you have, well, I won't speak for you, but I know for myself, I can be really good at excusing myself and going, well, yeah, I don't struggle with that, so I'm OK. But if we're honest, I think we can all understand there are areas, and I some areas are really hard. They really are. Um so with that in mind, listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So did you notice at the beginning of those verses, there's a little therefore. We do that, the Bible studies on Tuesday nights, and we always say, what is the therefore therefore? Right? So... Paul had just been talking in 1 Corinthians 4 about his ministry, and he describes it. It wasn't easy. They were afflicted. They were crushed, perplexed, in despair, and persecuted, but not forsaken nor destroyed. And he had just said, the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. That was what he was living for. That that made him rejoice. He was thrilled that these people, the more and more people, were giving thanks to the glory of God. And then he goes on to say, We don't lose heart all although all of those things were happening they were i mean he was beaten he was thrown in prison i mean he really saw had sufferings he said all of those things were happening we keep our eyes on the unseen things on the eternal things so tonight i would kind of like to take a positive approach to the negative sin of discontentment and focus on things that are eternal, and things just a sacrifice that Christ, our Savior, has made for us. So starting with our eternal purpose. So I think most of you know the answer to the catechism question. Why did God make you and all things? For his own glory. Or according to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. When you think about those things that cause you discontentment, how do they fare in light of glorifying God? At our last meeting, Yvonne referred to Psalm 73. If you would like to turn there, I would like to take another look at that. Because the psalmist, Asaph, helps us to see an important truth. If you look at 73, verses 1 through 3, it says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph talks about how he came close to stumbling because he was so envious of them. He, they who seemed to have no cares and built their fortunes upon the backs of those they took advantage of, but then he considered their ultimate end. In contrast to what they sought after, he states in verse 25, what mattered to him. Whom have I? Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. To Asaph, a relationship with God mattered above all else in life. Without that relationship, life has no real purpose. So keep that in mind as we address the topic of contentment. Remember that earth has nothing for us besides God. Asaph got it right. I have been studying 1 John with the ladies on Tuesday nights. And 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3, speaks so well to this idea. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. Beloved, Now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And then verse 3, And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. If your hope is fixed on Christ, on being like Christ, that verse states that those who have that hope fixed on him purifies them themselves just as he is pure. As you live your lives, as you struggle with discontentment, can you see where your thinking has become rooted in something less than God's eternal purpose for you? I... For myself, that really does help to slow down and think, wait, what, what is my purpose here? Oh, so many times it's very self-centered because, well, I like to be happy and easy. But the second area I would like to focus on is what Christ has done for us. And ladies, anyone who knows me knows I don't have a great Long-term memory, well, maybe it's, anyhow, my memory's not great. And unfortunately, it's a little too easy to move through life without being struck by the incredibleness of what Christ has done for us. So this study warmed my soul. I just went through and meditated on the sacrifice that Christ has made for me for all of us. And I wrote the verses down, just the references, but I'm going to read them to you, and I would love for you to really just stop and meditate on this and think through what Christ has done. So 1 John 3.16 says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. Because I've been studying it, I've got this little section that I copied out of Precept Austin, but this is how they described it. It said, He laid down his life, clearly refers to the crucifixion of Christ. Laid down is the error's tense, active voice, indicative mood, indicating that Jesus completed this act deliberately, actively, and volitionally, at a given time in history for the interests of others his death was not passive like the thousand of animals that had been sacrificed and laid on the altars none having a choice in the matter no jesus died actively and purposefully for you and for me okay and then john 3:16 which i think we all know but think of it For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Galatians 1.4 Who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Ephesians 5.2 and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you, for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Colossians 1.13, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 1 Peter 2.24, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also died for sins once for all. The just, he was just for the unjust so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And then combining those two thoughts, my last verse here, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. So set your mind on eternal things, on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And I love that little section that's just put in there. And it says, when Christ, who is our life? When you think about that, to me, I still remember, I memorized, that's Colossians 3. I had memorized Colossians 3, 1 through 3 years ago when I first became a Christian. And maybe about eight years ago, I memorized verse 4. And it so struck me that Christ is my life. That's what I'm living for. That's the reason I have to live. So... He actively laid down his life for us. His wounds healed us. Nothing about those things which you're discontent with. Can we just go home? <laughs> to me? Some degree. I feel like I don't even need to keep talking. Those verses are powerful. What Christ has done is powerful. Well, it might not be quite that easy. Um, it does help us to put things in perspective. Since I know from personal experience how hard it is to not become discontent over stupid things, too, I'm going to continue. Because even though you can see how everything else pales in relationship to having our desires, I think I just got off here, but anyhow... We want to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what really matters, if we can keep our eyes there. Okay, so with those two truths clearly in focus, I would like to discuss the topic of discontentment. Discontentment is defined by Webster's Dictionary as uneasiness, or inquietude inquietude of mind. And then in more regular English, dissatisfaction at the present state of things. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that makes sense, right? Ugh, you're just not happy. And some things are big. In reality, it's similar to what Yvonne spoke on last time with trials. So, what are some things we are dissatisfied with? There are big things, like our health. Suffering with chronic health issues is really hard. (coughs) Having a difficult marriage is incredibly hard. I just talked to a young lady, I just can't imagine what her life is like. Those things, it would be so hard So not being able to have children, not having gotten married and really wanting to be married, losing a loved one, having difficult financial problems. And then there's little ones, which sometimes seem so petty, but can really eat at us. Like a small miscommunication with a friend. Not a big friendship-ending conflict. But just a little communication where all of a sudden you really don't feel loved or understood. Those things can can eat at us and make us discontent. Not having the finances, you have enough money, you have your home, you have this. But you don't get to do this that all your friends get to do. Okay, another one. I didn't have to struggle with this because none of my kids did this. But I have friends whose kids learned how to walk really, really early. And their lives became so hectic really, really fast. It's just a little something that can cause discontentment. Having too much to do in life. Being hectic. You want to go for a hike. But you can't go for a hike because you don't have any time. Or you'd like to exercise on a regular basis, but you can't do that because you've got this and that and this. So all those things, the list goes on. The more we keep our eyes on ourselves, the easier it is to be discontent. The more we keep our eyes on our eternal purpose, on loving and pleasing God, on glorifying him, the easier it is to be content. It Seems to me that one of the best ways to address this is to look at what a life of contentment is marked by. So I'd like you to turn to Philippians 4. Paul does a great job of emphasizing those things which make for a contented life. And again, We know what Paul's life was like. And in spite of being in prison, Paul was content. And he literally says that in this chapter. And I do want to thank John MacArthur because he did a series on fighting discontentment. And this portion is based on that series. It's not original content from my brain. But it was really, really good. Okay, so contentment comes from loving and serving others. I don't know if you've experienced this, but, okay, if you've studied those love languages, my love language is gifts of service. I love when somebody will come to my house and we'll work together. Years ago, Elisa came to my house and organized all my books. Somehow. (laughs) and we're like this is long enough ago neither of us remembers but I do remember that my son-in-law when I had surgery on my neck he came and cleaned out my closets because he knew that's what I really appreciated and that's his love language too so you know we bond over this but I just loving and serving others And verse 1 in Philippians 4 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Do you see the love that Paul has for the Philippians? Beloved, whom he longs to see, his joy and crown. He loved these people. John MacArthur stated it well. Contentment doesn't flow up from selfish fulfillment. It flows from serving others, from loving loving others, fellowshipping with others, sharing with others, bearing one another's burdens, caring for others. And this deep love grows well in a spirit in a soil of humility. I think if we Look at that in ourselves, trying to remain humble, lovingly serving others, being involved with others. And you can put this into your own situation wherever you are. If you're married, your husband, if you're not married, people around you, even if you are married, people around you, um, there are people who need your love, your attention just to look around and see who's there. Okay, second, contentment comes when you rejoice. Verse four says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And this might seem a little backwards, but I think the idea, I mean, Paul is commanding us, you should rejoice. This is, it's a command. I have a little saying on my prayer board that has been there for quite a while, and it says gratitude is the antidote for the poison of discontentment. If you really work at being grateful, if you work at cultivating that spirit of joy, that will lead to contentment. If you are unhappy at work, at home, at church, make a list of those things that you can be thankful for. And then choose to rejoice in those. Gratitude certainly is the antidote for discontentment. And discontentment is certainly a poison. It really can mess with your interactions with God, with other people. Um, So it's, yes, choose to rejoice and choose to focus there, to really... You know, um, Andy read that book, A Thousand Gifts. Did I get that right? Anyhow, this lady who recommended that you write down things that you're thankful for. I believe I I only got up to like 500 gifts, not a thousand. (laughs) I wrote it down. But every day to write down things for which you are thankful. And it's such a wonderful exercise because it just focuses your mind in the right place. There's always going to be things that are that you're not thankful for, um, but it's good to focus there. Okay, point number three. Contentment comes more easily when you learn to accept less. Don't always need to have it your way. Verse five says, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Your gentle spirit... Your sweet reasonableness, humble, patient endurance. No retaliation, no discontent. You should have a reputation of being settled and content. And I like, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Fourth point, verse 5, again says, The Lord is near. Again, that whole eternal focus, if you keep your eyes remembering that the Lord is with you, contentment comes from standing on confident faith that the Lord is near. Remember that he is always with you. He is near. He is powerful. And He is sovereign. And I was talking to Lydia recently and she texted this to me. She said when her little girl died, she said Psalm 139 was very dear to her. And she said, and the Psalms, she said that one particularly because the difference between light and darkness, and he is light. And then she said she loved reading the verses that focused on God's love because she said when the pain was that hard in her heart. She loved knowing that God loved her. And that God knew and that God loved Ellie. Even though she was being formed imperfectly, she knew God loved Ellie. So those were wonderful things to focus on. And I think that helps with content. It doesn't necessarily take away pain. But it helps with the focus knowing that God is near that he loves you because things can still be very hard (laughs) point five contentment comes from reacting to your problems with thankful prayer verses seven and eight say be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Learn to pray. Learn to cast all your cares on him. I'm going to say this. Somehow it seems so trite. You don't really need to be anxious. But you are trusting God. This is a kind of peace that is incomprehensible and it protects your heart and your mind. And it certainly leads to contentment. So prayer is so very important. And then, contentment comes from focusing on godly things. And I'll do a little commercial. This book... Loving God with all your mind is one that I would highly recommend. And she goes through Philippians 4, 8 in here. Um, That's by Elizabeth George. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, Dwell on these things. So think of those things that you're discontent with. Are you dwelling on what is honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute, things that are excellent and worthy of praise? Or are you allowing yourself to dwell on things other than that and allowing yourself to fester. I know I catch myself doing that. Our thought lives are very fertile and it's really it's a good practice to meditate on these things and to stop yourself when you find yourself meditating on things that aren't helpful. So Okay, let's see. Jay Brown, ha. Jay Brown mentioned in Sunday school yesterday that as a regular practice, he no longer listens to the news. When he does, he said, it's as if nothing has changed. There are still people angry with each other, nations, fighting nations. If you make a regular habit of listening to the news, you get frustrated, you get anxious, discontent. Is a result of negative thinking about self, about suffering, about lack, about mistreatment, about chaos, about trouble, about the way things are going. A bad process to be caught in. But if it, instead of listening to the news, honestly, I always thought you had to listen to the news, right? You need to be up to date on what's going on. But if you use that time instead to be in God's Word, to be praying, how much better is that than, well, and to be honest, how many times do you read news that's less than news? I mean, like Kate Middleton had surgery. Well, mildly interesting, but you don't really need to know that. So <laughs> It's so much better to be in God's word. Okay, and then another, um, another bit of advice that I learned many years ago When I was in college, our college pastor warned us to watch out for advertising. Advertisers know what makes us tick, and man, do they push hard at that. And they will make you discontent. You must have the nicest car, that cute little outfit, new everything. And you don't. And I just love, on the church app, there's the thrifty women of grace. Just saying. If you need anything free, you can get it. (laughs) They're constantly going, hey, I need to give this away. Who would like it? So if you're not on there, you can get on there. Contentment comes from following the right example. This is point number seven. I love this. Verse 9 the things, Paul says, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Find somebody you can follow, somebody who is content, who loves the Lord. Yesterday, when Chris was introducing Rocky Wyatt, he mentioned that Rocky was someone that he, that Chris, had been able to follow. has known him since he was 14. For all of us, Paul is that example. We may not have Rocky, but we have Paul. In verse 11, he states, I am content. I've learned to be content. So he wasn't just naturally content. He learned it. I learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance in suffering need, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Paul is saying, "Follow me, follow my example." And then in verse eighteen, he says, "I have received everything in full. I have an abundance." He's in prison. I am amply suppri- supplied, and my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He is rejoicing in a benediction in the most horrible circumstances in prison. Find somebody like that and follow them. Follow their example. That's the kind of example you need. Those are the attitudes and the realities that produce contentment. So if you find yourself struggling with discontentment, I would encourage you to go back to Philippians 4 and work through that again, meditating on it, remembering that Paul himself was content in whatever situation he was. And his circumstances were certainly disastrous from a human point of view. But what he is saying in verse 11 is, I'm satisfied. I have enough. And saying you have enough is saying, God, I am content with what you are doing in my life. In other words, it's really an act of worship to be content. You're saying thank you to God because this situation comes from His hand. What's going on in the world? is part of his plan. What's going on in our country is part of his plan. What's going on in our state, and our city, and even in your own lives is inside his plan. And discontent says, I don't like your plan. I don't know that I trust your promises. And maybe I don't trust your power. And that is an affront to God. So we we don't want to live there. Okay. I'm just quoting everybody from yesterday. Yesterday, Rocky said that when you love God supremely, you trust him completely. Yet, this is not heaven. This is a battleground. I would greatly encourage you to fight for contentment. Yes, it can be hard. It can be really hard in some cases. Our expectations come into play here. Surely we didn't expect to be struggling so hard with our marriages, with our finances, with getting along with each other, you name it. But keep in mind that your purpose here on earth is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And remember how much Christ did for you. And remember that God is near and powerful and sovereign and good. And he loves you. And I would like to close with Psalm 16, verses 7 through 11. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, There are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that in your presence is fullness of joy. I pray that you would help each one of us to be content, to be thankful for that which is from your hand. I ask for your guidance on our conversations and our small groups tonight. I ask that you would help each one of us to humbly come before you and repent when we are not content and to focus on you and to be so thankful for what you have done. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.